Well, welcome. Welcome to Christ Community Chapel. My name is Zach. I'm on staff here. It's my pleasure, my privilege to get to be with you this morning, whether you're here with me in the sanctuary over in East Hall or watching online. I'm so glad to spend a little time with you. We're going to continue our series we're calling Hebrews Together. So if you have your Bible, I'd love to ask you to turn to Hebrews chapter 1. We're going to pick it up in verse 3 through the end of the chapter. If you don't have a Bible, that's fine. It'll be on the screen behind me. But while you're turning, let me encourage you to be spending time in your Hebrews Together devotionals. Hopefully you've got one of those. And you're spending time throughout the week getting ready for the message that's to come, making sense of the message that you just heard, letting the Lord uh, take the message of Hebrews and work it into your individual life. I also hope you've made plans to join a community group this fall and to spend time with other people, not just sharing with them what God is telling you, but also hearing what God is doing in their lives and even making a few friends along the way. I hope you'll check that out. You can find all that on our website, information about the groups and the devotional, and I hope you will do that. But for now, let's turn our attention to Hebrews chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. Let's read it together. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you? Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom." You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? This is the word of the Lord. We're going to be using the same outline that we've been using last week and we'll keep using all fall as we go through the book of Hebrews. And that outline is designed to bring out the central idea of the book, which is that Jesus is superior to all things. And the outline this week is going to look like this. We're going to talk about why angels are great, why Jesus is greater, and why that's great news. Why angels are great, why Jesus is greater, and why that's great news. But let's start with why angels are great. I don't know if you have thought about this, but the belief in angels has shaped the world that you live in. You might not think angels are that prominent, but if not for the belief in angels, the world as you know it would not exist. 
Now, to illustrate that, let me put it this way. If I told you that if there was no such thing as Islam or Judaism or Christianity, the world as you know it would be an entirely different place, and you would certainly agree with me that that's true. But what's fascinating is that all three of those worldviews have as their starting point a belief in angels. Let me illustrate what I mean. Muslims teach that Muhammad went into a cave and when he was in the cave had an experience with an angel and that angel gave Muhammad the Quran and that's why you should read the Quran and that's why you should listen to Muhammad because he was communicated to by an angel. Jews, in contradiction of that, say actually Moses was the one who had an experience with an angel, that Moses went up the mountain and God gave him the law at Mount Sinai, and that actually the communication between God and Moses was carried out by angels. Christians say that actually in the Christmas story, one of the most significant ways you know that the birth of Jesus is not just the birth of another baby, is that angels are singing that this is no ordinary baby. Now certainly to believe one of those claims is to discredit the others, but at their core, all of them are saying that the reason why you should listen to their person is because angels tell you so. In other words, our fascination with angels has really shaped the world as we know it. Why? Why are we so fascinated with angels? Well, let me ask you this question. If an angel dropped down in the room right now, why would that be exciting? You might say, well, because that means we wouldn't have to hear the rest of this message. <laughs> and I accept that although I would have to ask the angel if he could be bothered to show up for the next service as well. No, if an angel dropped down, if the ceiling opened and an angel dropped down, here or in East Hall, why would that be so exciting? Here's why I think we would be so excited. Here's why I think for centuries we've been fascinated by angels and have even formed entire worldviews based on what other people tell us have happened with angels. When an angel shows up, you instantly know three things. You, you don't hope these things. You, you don't think them. You don't wonder them. You know them, and here are these three things. Number one, you know instantly that there's a God. Because after all, there would be no way of making sense of this angel's presence if you tried to argue that the universe is nothing more than physics and biology and chemistry. If all we have is a physical universe, there wouldn't be an angel standing there. So when an angel shows up, it's exciting because you say, wow, that means there is a God. That means there's a spiritual component to our world. The second thing that you know is even more exciting than that, not just that there is a God, but that that God knows who you are. I mean, if an angel dropped down right now, what would be so exciting about that would be not just that there's a God, but that he knows we're here this morning. He knows we've gathered together. He knows what we're doing. He knows who we are. He sent someone to communicate with us. And the third thing, which is even better than the first two, is that he must love us. Because to communicate with us at all would have to be motivated by love. Even if the angel showed up and said something awful, like, hey, you have 24 hours to change your lives, or you're going to face the judgment of God, that would be great because that would mean God loved us enough to warn us and not just have us wake up tomorrow and fall 
into his judgment. No, we're fascinated by the idea that in a single moment, God would instantly confirm his reality and his care for us. In fact, it's probably true that some of us have come here this weekend looking for some kind of experience, maybe not holding out for an angel, but looking for some kind of confirmation, some kind of experience that would confirm to us that there is a God and that he knows who we are and that he loves us. And the angel would just be like the best version of that. But the reason why we're excited about angels has really very little to do with angels and everything to do with each one of us wanting to know that God knows us and that God loves us and that God sees us. And for that, angels really are pretty great. But there is a problem with angels. And that is that when they show up, they have only a temporary message. Their message is abbreviated, it's concise, it's succinct. And you would think that that would be okay because if an angel were to drop down right now, whatever they would say, we would believe it. But the problem is, I think we would actually, after a while, have some questions. I mean, even if an angel dropped down right now and said, God loves you, and everyone here in the sanctuary got excited, and everyone in East Hall started putting it on Instagram. Even if that happened, After a while, you would drive home and you would say, God loves me, but but do you think that angel knows what I did last week? I mean, what if it takes a week to get from heaven to here, and God did love me, and then I did, you know, the thing I did last week, and what if that's changed, but the angel just didn't know it? Or moving forward, this week you get a diagnosis that rattles you, and you say, well, wait a minute, God did love me, has that changed? You would need another angel. There's actually instances where this happens in the Bible, like in the Christmas story in the Gospel of Luke, Zechariah, John the Baptist's father, is visited by an angel, And the angel says, you're going to have a baby. That baby is going to be John the Baptist. And Zechariah says, ah, are you sure? I'm really old. And you think, man, that's an angel telling you that. And Zechariah says, I'm really old. And and he actually gets in trouble for it because angels apparently don't come with Q&A sessions. You can't ask (laughs) follow-up questions. But you see, that's the thing. You and I think that if an angel dropped down right now, that would just solve everything for us. But it wouldn't we'd have more questions. We would want to know more things. Uh, Let me give you an example of this. I recently did an escape room with my son. Have you ever done an escape room? It's a little bit like prison, but with games, okay? (laughs) They take you to this room and they lock you in and you have to solve these puzzles to get out. And so you spend an hour trying to get out of a room and then you pay them for it. It's really a weird setup. They, they take us back to the room and they tell us, okay, you have an hour to solve this puzzle and if you need a hint, you can ask for it. And of course, we look at each other and being the Wyrock men that we are, we say, we, we don't need hints, you know. And we get about 10 minutes into the, the, the whole project there and we're doing well. I mean, we're just knocking out the puzzles right and left until we come across one we can't solve. And my son, who's only 11, looks at me and he doesn't know yet that men don't do this. So he says to me, let's ask for a hint. And so we do, and they give us one. And that helps for like two minutes. And then my son says, let's ask for another hint. 
And that's what keeps happening. We keep asking for more hints because the hint we got was helpful then, but now we need new, we have new questions. We, we face new challenges. In fact, we get so to the point we're asking for so many hints that the guy running the game is now shaming us. He's saying things like, yes, I'll give you a hint, but you have to dance for it. And I'm saying, no way. Uh, I will just sit here for an hour. And my son's like, dad, please. And so somewhere I know on YouTube is a video of me dancing in an escape room. And you see, that's the rub with angels, isn't it? That even if one dropped down right now and gave you a message, it wouldn't be enough. You'd have more questions. You'd wonder more things. No, we need something greater than an angel. And for that, second point, the writer tells us Jesus is greater than angels. Jesus is a more authoritative voice than anyone anywhere, at any place, in any time, who has claimed to speak for God. And the writer makes his argument in three ways. I want to show you three things that he says that are true about Jesus that mean we should listen to him more than anyone else who claims to speak for God. Here they are. Number one, he says Jesus is God. Look what he says in verse three here in Hebrews chapter one. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. I love what the writer does there because he says the same thing three times in three different ways in case you didn't get it. He says, he is the radiance of the glory of God, the brilliance of God, the glory of God, the majesty of God. All of it is contained in Jesus. And in case you didn't get that, he says, what I mean is that Jesus is the exact imprint of the nature of God, that everything that's true of God is true of Jesus, and everything that's not true of God is not true of Jesus. And in case you didn't get that, what I'm telling you is he upholds the universe by the word of his power. You see, when angels show up, that's great, because it's a messenger from God. The only thing better than that would be to hear from God himself. And that's who Jesus is. That Jesus Christ, living on earth, walking and talking and teaching and ministering, is showing us who God is and what God thinks and what God wants and how God feels, not because he knows God, but because he is God. That the message of Christianity is not that you should wait around and hope that you're one of the lucky ones enough to get a visit from an angel. The message of Christianity is that God so badly wants you to know who he is, he wants to tell you himself. Jesus is God. Number two, Jesus is the point of the whole Bible. That's why the writer peppers you with Old Testament quotes. In verse 5, in verse 6, in verse 7, verse 8, verse 9, verse 10, verse 11, verse 12, verse 13, over and over again saying that when you read in the Old Testament and it said, your throne, O God, is forever, that was about Jesus. Or when you read in the Old Testament, you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, that was about Jesus. You see, the writer of Hebrews is saying that angels play a really important part in the story of the Bible. But Jesus is the whole point of the Bible. 
Angels are supporting characters. Jesus is the main character. Everything that happens in the Bible, from the Old Testament to the New, from Genesis to Revelation, has as its focal point Jesus. So if you want to know who God is, and you want to know what God's up to, and you want to know what it's all about, the best place to go is Jesus, because it's all about him. The third thing the writer says about Jesus is that right now he is sitting at the right hand of God. He says it in verse three. He says, after making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. In verse 13, he says, sit at my right hand. Why is that so important? Well, have you ever heard the expression right hand man? That's my right hand man. That's her right hand man. That's his right hand man. That expression actually comes from this ancient idea that the king would take whoever was most important to him in the kingdom. Whoever was his most trusted advisor, his, the one who could speak for him, the one who could lead for him, the one that the king trusted to get things done, he would have him sit on his right hand. And that was symbolic of saying, look, if this guy tells you something, that's it. That's it. That's the final word. Jesus right now is sitting at the right hand of God the Father. He is the focal point of heaven. He is the king in God's kingdom. The writer of Hebrews says, listen, it's great to hear from angels. That's fantastic. But there is something better, and that would be to hear from the one who is God, who is the center point of all that God is doing, who even now sits at the right hand of God. Listen, friends, it can be so tempting when you read the Bible to be jealous of the spiritual experiences of those who have come before. To see Moses talking to a burning bush and say, wow, if only I could have that. To see Abraham be visited by three angels and say, wow, if only I could have that. To see God feeding Elijah and Elisha and so many other stories and to say, man, if I could just have one experience of that. Perhaps you're here and you're not a Christian and you're saying, yeah, that's really what I'm waiting for is one experience of God's presence. Or maybe you're a Christian and you're just super jealous of everyone in the Bible. Listen, do you know what is sitting at the right hand of God? Not a bush and not three angels and not ravens with food in their mouth. You know sitting at the right hand of God? Jesus. There is no better place to go for, a th- for an authoritative voice on who God is and what God's doing and what that means for you than Jesus Christ. You do not have less than Moses. You have more. You don't have less than Abraham. You have more. You don't have less than Elijah and less than Elisha. You have more. And that's so important because every time someone comes along and they say they had some kind of spiritual experience, they write a book, they make a movie, and we buy the book and we watch the movie and we say, oh, if only. And yet the writer of Hebrews says you already have more than anyone could ever give you about God in Jesus. Jesus is greater than anyone at any time, in any place, anywhere, who has ever claimed to speak for God. He is God. He is the center point of all that God is doing, and he sits at the right hand of God right now. If you came this weekend to meet God, to have a spiritual experience, there is no better place to look for that than Jesus. And you say, well, well, why is it so important that I understand that? Well, that leads me to the third point, which is to say, here's why that's really great news for you. 
I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but the bigger a promise someone makes to you, the more important it is that you know they can pull it off. The bigger the promise, the more important it is that you know the person who's making the promise has the resume or the credentials to pull it off. The, the bigger the thing someone says they're gonna do for you or they can help you with, the more you need to be sure that they actually can do it. And the writer of Hebrews began our whole passage with a promise. Look at what he says in verse three. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Listen to this. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. There's two really important things being said here. One is that Jesus came with a message. And he's greater than any angel. He's God. He's the center point of all that God is doing. He sits at God's right hand, and he came to you and I with a message. And here was the message. He has come to purify our sins. I said, what does that mean? Well, here's what it means. It means that the Bible would tell us we're all separated from God by sin. That God wants to love us, but, but cannot love us without dealing with our sin because that would be to legitimize all the people we've hurt, all the things we've done wrong. He can't gloss, it, gloss over it. He can't sweep it under the rug. He can't ignore it. He can't pretend it's not there. He has to deal with it. And the way that he has chosen to deal with it is by sending his son, Jesus, who when he was on earth lived sinlessly, never doing what I do, never not doing what I don't do, never thinking what I think, always and only doing what is right. And yet going to the cross at the moment of his death and taking on the sins of the church so that God could put onto him all the things that I've done and then God could take all his anger over my sin and yours and dump it out on Jesus so that it was pleasing to God and pleasing to Jesus that he would become the embodiment of my sin and yours, that he would pay for it, that it would cost him his life so that when he died and when he rose from the dead, God could say to all of us who would grab hold of Jesus, I will take his pure life and give it to you and your impure life and give it to him so that when I love you, I don't have to ignore who you are or sweep it under the rug. When I love you, it will be because you are actually lovable to me because when I see you, I see Jesus. And you say, wait a minute, wait a minute. You mean I don't have to perform for God to love me. That's what I mean. I don't have to earn it. That's what I mean. You mean it doesn't matter what I've done. That's what I mean. And you say, how could I ever believe that? That's crazy. How could I ever believe that? Only if God himself told you. See, that promise is too big for you to get from an angel. That idea is too massive for you to get from a prophet the only way you could ever believe that is if God himself said it. The second thing that the writer of Hebrews is saying, which is maybe even more important than the first because it secures the first for me, is that, listen to what he says, after making purification for sins, by the way, do you notice the verb tense there? After making, after it was done, after it settled, listen to what it says, he sat down. When do you sit down? When the work is done. You see, the writer of Hebrews says that not only did Jesus come to tell me there's a way that I could be pure, 
There's a way that God could love me. There's a way that God could accept me. There's a way that God forgive me. He did it, and he did it so well that when he got to heaven, he just put his feet up and said, the work is done, which means that the message of Jesus is not just that God gives me a clean slate and tells me, now don't mess it up. The message of Jesus is that he has done everything necessary to purify me no matter what I do. He's done it all. His life covers me. His death pays for my sin. His resurrection is my hope. The work is finished. The work is done. God accepts all those who come to him in Jesus' name. God loves all those who come to him in Jesus' name. God forgives all those who come to him in Jesus' name. And that is something no angel could ever promise you. No angel could ever tell you, and no angel certainly could ever accomplish for you. You see, we want moments of spiritual experience, but God gave us a fixed moment of proof that he loves us, that he accepts us, that he welcomes us, that he forgives us. God gave us a fixed moment that we could look to no matter where we are. And if you're here and you came this weekend looking for a spiritual experience, this is where you'll find it. By coming to see that God has proven his love for you once and for all in Jesus. The reason why an angel won't open the roof and come down is because the work is done. There's nothing left to say. Jesus' feet are up. You can be made pure today in him. Brother and sister in Christ, God has not left you at a disadvantage but rather add an advantage. Let me give you an illustration I hope will bring this home. When I was a kid, every summer we would go to the beach for vacation. When I was about eight years old, I probably weighed about 40 pounds. I took my shirt off, you could see my ribs. If I turned sideways, you couldn't see me, right? And what would happen is my parents would lay out on the beach and I would go and play in the ocean. And because I weighed so little, the undertow of the ocean would really just pull me one way or the other so that my parents would lay back for 10 minutes and open their eyes and I was half a mile down the beach. And my mom would freak out and my dad would get angry and he'd say, Zach, stop going away from us. And I would say, I'm not trying to. It's just pulling me. I'm just playing in the water and next thing I know, I'm half a mile down the beach. And so my dad came up with this great strategy, pulled me out of the water and he said, Zach, do you see that building there? He pointed this big tall building and I said, yeah. He said, that's our hotel. That's where you belong. So what I want you to do is I want you to play in the water. I want you to have fun. But every so often, I want you to look up and I want you to find that hotel. And I want you to make your way back to it. That's where you should be. And if you're to the right of it, go left. And if you're to the left of it, go right. This is where you should be. Friends, do you see that's exactly what God has done for us in Jesus Christ? Not have us wait for some kind of existential moment, but rather given us a fixed point, the cross of Christ, in which God says, I know that the undertow of life will have you feeling unlovable. I know that a bad week will make you feel unforgivable, unacceptable. I know you'll feel distant from me. I know that. So here's what I'm telling you. Look to the hotel on the beach. Fix your eyes on Jesus. That's how you know I love you. That's how you know I accept you. That's how you know you're welcome. That's how you know you belong. And if you find yourself to the right of it, go left. And if you find yourself to the left of it, go right. It doesn't matter where the current takes you. There is a fixed point at which you belong. And that fixed 
point is Jesus Christ. Friends, you don't need an angelic experience because you have an anchor that can never be moved. I don't know what kind of week you've had. I don't know if you feel very lovable to God right now. But you see, God doesn't rate you on the basis of your performance. He rates you on the basis of Jesus' performance in your place. There is a hotel on the beach for you. And if you're here and you're not a Christian, I know sometimes people say, how do I know if, if, if I'm coming closer to being a Christian? How do, how do I know? Am I waiting for like lightning to strike? Am I waiting for goosebumps? No, not at all. Here's what you're waiting for. When you begin to see that God loves you simply because of what Jesus has done in your place. And when you begin to feel the pull to walk towards that hotel on the beach. See, the great thing about Jesus is that unlike angels, where if your buddy came and said, hey, I saw an angel, and you would be happy for him and you would hate him all at the same time, good for you, why didn't that happen to me? You see, God in Jesus elevated the answer that everyone's looking for in such a way that everyone can find it and that everyone includes you right here, right now. Brother, sister in Christ, you know we come here every weekend in part to find that hotel on the beach and to make our way back to Jesus. That is how we know. That is how we know. He has made purification for our sins. So if the ceiling opened and an angel dropped down, what would there be left for that angel to say? Except for, wow, that's really great. But we already know that. God has given us a fixed point. God has given us proof that he loves us and accepts us in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus that is available to you right here, right now, today. Let's pray together. Father God, I don't know where the current of life has taken everyone here in this room and in East Hall, but I know you have given us a place to look, a way to know that we are forgiven, a way to know that we're accepted, a way to know that we're loved. Would you help us all to see it and to make our way to it? Holy Spirit, would you work that out in our lives? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.